0: Another bonus episode? That's right. We're coming at you again from Another World Audiobooks with another bonus episode from an indie author. This time it's from a friend of mine, somebody that I actually didn't meet on Twitter, which is kind of crazy compared to all the other indie authors that I've had a privilege of working with. This is actually a personal friend of mine. His name is RJ Knight. He's a brand new author, and this is his debut novel. RJ actually came to me and asked me if I would be interested in doing the sample, and I'm very glad I said yes. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. The story behind RJ actually writing this book is pretty awesome. He wrote it within like it was only like four weeks or something that he wrote this book. I uh, think came out really good for his first novel and if you enjoy fantasy and that type of genre then this is gonna be right up your alley. Oh and did I mention that RJ's a young guy? He's just out of high school and already has his first book out so yeah that is pretty awesome right there. Huge thanks to RJ for allowing me to share this sample with you. We're going to be doing one episode today and then another episode tomorrow so you'll get the, the full sample within the next two days so make sure to stay tuned and check those out and also if you enjoy it, make sure to go out and check out his book. It's on Amazon and I'm putting the link to, for his uh, author Facebook page as well as the link to purchase the book there on Amazon. Any and, he, and uh, As a new author, I know any support that you can throw his way would be a huge help so go like his Facebook page. Think about buying the book. It's well worth it. So now without further ado, I give you Grimoire. Grimoire, written by R.J. Knight, narrated by Brady Smith. Prologue The black mist swirls, moving from the beginning forward. So much death, so much to forget. The slender woman with brightly dyed hair named Karma shoots a mischievous look over her shoulder, smiling broadly and beckoning for the others to follow. But her joy is cut short as a deadly arc of a curved blade splits through the air, leaving her companions frozen in terror as she falls to the ground, lifeless. The black mist swirls again, further forward, time being lost between. The charismatic black-haired man named Jock holds the blind man's scout in his arms, the latter looking weakly up at his friend as his blood puddles around him. The otherwise empty hall echoes with the steps of his fleeing murderer, the bloody knife still clenched in shaking hands. The black mist rushes in once again, moving forward, relentless. Her back to a wall, there is nowhere to go. The young short woman named Sho faces the approaching nightmare as bravely as she can, its crescent scythe glistening. Suddenly, the giant muscular form of Jim comes into view, smashing shoulder-first into the monster and bulldozing it into the wall. Jock grabs Sho by the arm, and the two rush away as the scythe falls on another friend. Again, the mist. They pause in the hallway. Show and the blonde woman Lila panting for breath while Jock and the brown-haired man Micah only breathe heavily. The respite is cut short as a shadow slowly spreads into the hallway and around the corner, the reflection of a deadly blade visible in the window panes. With a hasty goodbye, Jock is gone, ignoring his friend's attempts to stop him. With all the speed he can muster, the man rushes to the other side of the hallway and the shadow rushes after him. The mist comes, swirling yet again and blinding all else. There is still more death to be forgotten. Micah and Lila stand at the edge of the roof, a three-story fall looking back at them. Something behind them causes them to turn quickly. Micah readies his sword and faces the doorway to the roof. Lila pushes the blade down gently, causing him to turn. In a single moment, her lips meet his, surprising him to such a degree that all his faculties are lost. In that moment, Lila puts a hand to his chest and pushes, causing him to cream backward into open space, reaching desperately and watching helplessly. As a scythe falls on a young woman with tearful eyes. The mist. One more life to snuff out. It comes. It swirls. The end is nigh. Micah's sword collides with the scythe of the monster. White flame surrounds the blade of the hero, while a sickly green one that of the villain. Sho works quickly with her chalk, drawing the ancient symbols in the grass as quickly as she can. The blades meet again and again. A battle of legend. Righteousness versus wickedness. Good versus evil. Light versus dark. Life versus death. In a sudden, forceful lunge, the sword and scythe collide with incredible power, and Micah's weapon snaps. The scythe sinks into the man's chest, and the force of the blow repulses him from the blade and sends him flying away, tumbling to the ground like a discarded doll. Sho sees this out of the corner of her eye and works faster, mustering all the haste she can. The bringer of death turns and begins to walk toward her. One second, what feels like a day. Two seconds. Two days. The Reaper is almost upon her. Three seconds, three days, the monster kicks the woman to her back and places a foot on her chest, its scythe raised. Terror seizes show at that moment as the blade prepares to fall. But no. A brilliant white point erupts from the monster's core. The broken sword thrusts through it from behind. Micah stands there, both his hands clenched to the handle of his blade. His eyes ablaze and his jaw set. The evil being shrieks a terrible cry as the white flame spreads across it, leaving nothing but a charred black husk behind. When only the burnt corpse remains, it begins to crumble, the entire form quickly dissolving into a black smoke that drifts away in the midnight breeze. For three seconds, three days, death had conquered life. The wicked had conquered the righteous, but the righteous returned to strike down death, faith triumphing over evil and a mortal reenactment of the mightiest deed of God. But this is where the similarity ends, because where the Lord ascended, Micah fell. His blade falls to the ground, the battered man falls sideways, his eyes stare ahead lifelessly. The mist comes again. Death is complete, but there is more. Very little, but more. Sho sits at the desk, alone, the cursed book of evil and death lying open before her. She traces a line with her finger, muttering aloud to herself as she wipes away a few tears that begin to appear in her eyes and then begins to recite the incantation. The black mist comes a final time, swirling, swirling, writhing and spiraling as it encompasses everything. Suddenly, it is receding, working backwards from now, from the present, and heading toward the beginning, vanishing from this world as its work is complete. And now, the present is the beginning, and the beginning, the present. Chapter 1 The summer sun shone brightly on the asphalt as the car turned off the highway and onto a dirt road. The new road cut deep into a woodland, an impenetrable wall of brown bark and green foliage lining the edge. The passenger of the car could not see this change as he leaned on the door and faced the ground, his attitude undiscernible. The car came to a large clearing in the woodland. Lush grass formed a field around 200 yards in diameter, with the dense forest bordering it on all sides, except where an occasional trail would pierce into it and vanish. In the center of this field was a three-story stone college building that roughly resembled a block, windows systematically striping its sides, and the main doors facing toward the road. The dirt road ended just short of the grassy field, and opened instead into a large parking space, which was just big enough for about a hundred cars. The car with the sightless passenger pulled into this parking lot, and stopped. The passenger inside opened the door, and stepped out, turning around to sling a backpack over his shoulder and grab a duffel bag and collapsible metal walking stick. He then exchanged goodbyes with the driver and headed toward the sound of people, his electric watch chiming twelve just then. As the car drove away, Scout made his way toward the building, testing the ground before him through the use of his walking stick. Scout was five foot seven, with an average build and non-expressive black-gray hair. His eyes were white, blank, murky, as the eyes of the blind sometimes are. He wore a dark-colored t-shirt and equally dark jeans and tennis shoes, which, when combined with his small stature and habitual shyness, had the effect of causing Scout to seemingly vanish from society unless someone was specifically looking for him. Despite suffering from shyness and an acute lack of confidence, Scout was a bright young man who got good grades and often knew more than he let on, although he would never admit it. A crowd of people and baggage had formed outside the large oak double doors of the school, where a wooden stand had been temporarily placed, and where a man in a blue suit, neatly combed brown hair, blue eyes, a strong build, and a loudspeaker was standing. Attention, can I have your attention, please? The man boomed through the amplifying device. After the crowd had settled down, he continued, Thank you. I have a few things I need to address to all of you. First of all, I am Principal Blythe, the director of this wonderful school. As such, I oversee all that goes on here. Second, order of business, this is Vice Principal Kaufman. The principal gestured to a slightly shorter man in a black suit, with slick back greasy brown blonde hair and serpentine eyes that seemed to beat out from under his round glasses. Kaufman is my second-in-command, so to speak, and assists me in many ways. If you have a complaint or problem, address him or myself, and we will see what we can do. Third, if you missed the memo, this is a college camp. Not a college, not a camp, but both. As such, you will be expected to enjoy yourself and take your studies seriously. How you will pull that off is not my responsibility. I'm sure you'll figure it out, though. Blythe paused to allow a few of the students to chuckle. Now, I'm aware that some of you are probably concerning yourselves over sleeping arrangements. Don't worry, we have facilities here. We possess here on campus 40 cabins, each capable of holding up to 8 people in between two rooms. According to the student roster, there is just over 240 of you, which is about 6 people per cabin. Uh, note on this arrangement, men and women will be in opposite rooms and will not share bed space. This is not open for discussion. Violators will be punished. Kaufman added with a cold stare at any couple he could pick out in the crowd. Yes, they will, Blythe agreed. Now, food. We all love food, (laughs) do we not? As you can see, there is no grocery store out here for us to buy foodstuffs from. Rather, all our food supplies are kept within the main building's basement. Each cabin will be rationed more than enough food for the next three months, and the cabins are well-equipped with refrigerators, freezers, and stoves, so do not concern yourselves over sustenance. If, by chance, you can cook, I suggest you ask one of your cabin mates. If none of them can cook, well, (laughs) there's always cold cereal. A few camper students laughed, forcing the principal to pause before continuing. One last thing, many of you probably brought cell phones, tablets, or other electronic devices. While you are allowed to have these, I will inform you we do not have phone, cell, internet, or any other form of coverage out here. The only way you will connect to the internet or make a phone call is with a hard line, something that we also do not have. If any of you are perturbed by this, I am sorry, but this is how things are. Without an internet, your enjoyment is more fully up to you. We have several hiking trails that you can walk if you choose. Eel Lake is at the end of the one to your right. In addition to nature itself, there will be supervised sports for those of you who are more competitive. Which reminds me, each cabin will be receiving a point score based on participation in activities and grades within classes. At the end of the three months you'll be staying here, the top three cabins will receive a special award. There are also, hidden around campus, capsules containing a coupon for a large sum of points and an assortment of other useful surprises. Keep that in mind as you explore. You will not want to miss a chance to gain a lead on the other cabins. Now then, thank you for your patience, you are dismissed. Cabin rosters are inside directly across from the main doors. I repeat, cabin rosters are inside and directly opposite the main door. Scout stood in the midst of the confusion as students headed into, out of, away from, and toward the college building. Listening carefully, Scout discerned the voice of Principal Blythe, now off his stand and talking with Kaufman. After identifying Blythe, Scout began to carefully make his way toward him, avoiding collision with other students as best he could. Mr. Blythe? Excuse me, Mr. Blythe? Scout called. Mm, Yes, how can I help you? I'm Scout Mitch. Could you please tell me which cabin I'm in? Oh, yes, my apologies. I should have made provisions for you when I saw your file. The principal looked at a clipboard he was holding and scanned the pages. As he did so, he commented, I believe you are the first blind student we've ever had here, Mr. Mitch. I do believe you're quite daring coming here. Scout made no response. Ah, here we are. Oh, I seem to have placed you in the lost cabin. My apologies. I will have that switched immediately if... No. I mean, what's wrong with it? Well, nothing in particular. It's identical to all the other cabins, only it's the farthest one from the main building, a a good half a mile. A fair hike for a blind man. It's okay. I can handle it. Are you certain? Yes. Very well. To reach it, you can take either of the two cabin trails. They join back together just outside of your doorstep. I'd suggest asking one of your fellow students to guide you there. Okay. Thank you. Scout began to work his way back out of the crowd. As he reached the edge, something caught his attention. A woman was wheeling two large travel bags behind her, and heading in the direction of the cabin trails directly on the opposite side of the field from the dirt road that led there. But what drew his attention to her was nothing anyone else could see or sense. Seen by Scout was a faint, bluish glow that radiated from within her, a color that no one else ever had or would, and the only thing that he could see. The weak glow shone through the woman like a blue candle within a glass statue a faint light scarcely even reaching the edges of her form. As Scout was distracted by the glow, a running student bumped into him, causing him to topple forward. When Scout looked back up, he had lost sight of the woman. Ugh! Scout put a hand to his forehead. Why? Why does this have to happen again? Scout recovered his footing and began to make his way across the field, feeling his way with his walking stick. The woman's scouted scene continued across the grassy courtyard in the direction of the cabin trails, wheeling the two large bags behind her. She reached the edge of the woods at the base of the two trails which curved in opposite directions around a damp swampland. At the point of the trail's divergence was a wooden board with a map of the campus. She looked at the map and scoffed at the location of her assigned cabin. She was five one, a short woman with a full but not overweight build, orangish hair that was cut short so that it fell just below the nape of her neck. Large brown eyes, wide hips, and a prominent bosom that she tried hard to downplay through modest apparel. Because of this, she wore an excessive number of layers for the summer heat. A white, long-sleeved button-up shirt, a black skirt that dropped to her knees, black leggings, black shoes, and an orange-brown vest that went well with her hair. She was logical and intelligent, an A-plus student who considered herself a scientist above all else, but, despite her logical tendencies, had a temper and a habit of throwing fits and disregarding others' opinions in favor of her own. Sho scanned the map again. Her cabin was located directly opposite where she stood now, the two trails reconnecting just in front of it and thus completing their loop around the marshy area between them labeled Forbidden Zone. Huh. Forbidden? Who comes up with these names? She criticized. The entire campus is open for access. That was made abundantly clear in the paperwork. Obviously, someone has allowed their imagination to carry them away. She left the board and map and took the trail to the right, beginning the slightly upward trek toward her destination. Occasionally, one of her bags would tip over or become stuck on a small rock, leaving her to curse it and then ride it with difficulty. Although the trail was shaded by the towering trees, the raw heat, stubbornness of her baggage, and the dust produced by the dry trail proved to worsen show's mood progressively. Uh, If I didn't believe complaints to be a sign of weakness, I would march up to Mr. Blythe right now and demand a change of cabins. She complained bitterly. Curse it half a mile hike, but I won't... No, he'll have to suffer the cold steel of my silent wrath. She nodded decidedly after finishing her tirade, and then thought for a moment. "'I swear Mom and Dad are trying to kill me,' she added in a grumble. "'It'll be good for you,' they said. "'You'll meet new people,' they said. "'Right. All the good this is going to do is give me blisters and heatstroke, and I'm fairly certain everyone who would be crazy enough to come to this place is a mindless oaf or a madman anyway, so, so much for new acquaintances that have any value.' Her eyes narrowed as she heard running footsteps approach her from behind. "'Here comes one now, lovely,' she mumbled, her mood none the better. She tightened her grip on the baggage ever so slightly and knit her brow, her frustration waiting impatiently for a target to be released on. footsteps came closer, closer, closer. Without warning, Sho spun around and released her storm on the unfortunate victim just as they drew up on her. Hey, there are people on this trail who don't want dust in their eyes or to have you come bashing past them and knock them over, she shouted. Why don't you worry about others for a change and not be so concerned about you, yourself, and your destination? Sho paused to breathe after a barrage, leaving the man she had just berated speechless and taken back for a moment. After only a second of surprise, Micah regained himself and replied calmly, I'm sorry, I hadn't thought of that. Micah was six foot even with an average athletically fit build, brown eyes and matching hair that was a little too long at the banks, which had the habit of sticking out rather than falling down, a fact that would perturb anyone who cared about their appearance but meant nothing to him. He wore jeans, a dark green t-shirt and faded black sneakers, with a light grey jacket tied around his waist. He was intelligent, but not incredibly so, nor did he have a habit of thinking things through before he acted. Although a man of strong character, he was also extremely straightforward in his personality. If one wished to know how Micah spent his time or where to find him, they would need only discover where the most people could be helped, and there also they would find Micah, aiding them. Sho was surprised by Micah's graciousness after her assault, and temporarily froze in shock. After only a moment, though, she recovered herself and steeled her countenance, though not quite to the savage extent she had before. "'Well, you should next time,' she retorted, lifting her chin into the air and spinning back around to continue her course. "'You're right. I'll remember that. Do you want help with your bags?' She froze again, just as she was about to take her next step and turned halfway around, looking at Micah incredulously. "'What?' "'Your bags. That's what I came running up here for. It looked like you were struggling with them, so I came to offer assistance.' Show blinked a few times and looked steadily into Micah's eyes, attempting to discern if he was serious or not. Micah met her gaze with honesty as the only discernible trait beneath his otherwise unreadable countenance. <sighs> Fine, but only because you offered. I could just as easily handle them myself. Show consented. Micah didn't answer, but instead took the handles of the two bags from Show and collapsed them, preferring to carry rather than wheel them. Sho didn't make any comment or objection to this and led the way toward her destination, with her chin a little higher than it needed to be. A few minutes later, Sho realized how arrogant and rude she had been. She dropped her head slightly and began to muse guiltily. "'We're here,' Micah announced suddenly. She looked up. In front of them was a large cabin. The sides were made of stained boards, matching the wood in the background as though they were born there. The roof was made of flat brown-black shingles and moss starting to grow at places. A single wooden door decorated the cabin's relatively plain front. On either side of the cabin, a square window at head height and about three feet across looked out into the woodland. Above the door, just under the roof line, was a triangular window that allowed the summer light to filter down into the dwelling. Another window like this one was located at the back wall, opposite to the first. The cabin was slightly removed from the trail, which began to loop around the forbidden zone and back toward the main courtyard of the college. Connecting the main path to the cabin was a small dusty footpath, maintained only by use. Sho and Micah spent a moment to take in the cabin before following the trail up the slight rise and entering the dwelling. The two entered and looked around while Micah closed the door behind them. The main room was about twenty feet from the door to the back wall and fifteen feet wide. A door was located on either of the side walls near the front, leading to the bedrooms that existed behind them. A large rectangular wooden table occupied the center of the main room, with four matching chairs on either of the longer sides. Along the left wall was a stove oven, sink, and counter, with cupboards above them and a refrigerator by the back wall. Correspondingly, along the right wall was a tall cabinet and three bookshelves of equal height. The back wall was bare. After analyzing the room, she walked through the left-hand door and turned right to survey the room. A bunk bed ran along the wall just next to the door, a matching one running parallel to it against the other wall. At the back of the room was another bookshelf and a door leading to a small bathroom. On the outside wall, next to the bunk bed, was a square window that looked out into the forest, the red cloth curtains currently drawn back and allowing the midday sun to shine in. On the bottom bunk of the bed, directly to the right of the door Sho had just come through, was a pink suitcase and an obnoxiously bright turquoise backpack. She looked at these two objects for a moment, made an educated guess, and then walked back into the main room. Micah had discarded his own backpack, which he had been carrying, and was waiting by the door, his hand on the knob. Sho disregarded his eagerness to leave as part of his being an oaf, and retrieved her bags from where he had sent them. After she returned from depositing her belongings in the room with the pink and neon bag, which she had accurately guessed belonged to another woman, she returned to the room to find Micah still waiting. Well? She put her hands on her hips in frustration. What are you still here for? I wanted to make sure you got settled all right. Do you need anything else? She shook her head in disbelief. Of course not, I- she cut herself short, trying not to be frustrated with someone who was only being kind. No, you can go, Micah gave a short nod and left, closing the door behind him. He ran down the trail, keeping a careful eye out for anyone else who might be walking so he could slow down, having actually taken Sho's tantrum seriously. Presently, the cabin was lost to view as he proceeded, other cabins occasionally coming into view on his left, all of them identical to his own. A metallic gleam caught Micah's eye. He turned to find the source. A metal pole rose in the forest just off the trail. The pole was about twenty feet tall and had a few speakers located on its top. The latter feature answered the question of what it was. Huh, a campus-wide speaker system. I should have guessed as much, Micah thought, musing to himself. As Micah stood looking at the pole, his mind sidetracked by some other thought, someone called out behind him. Micah! Micah turned to the familiar voice to see two people coming toward him, a man and a woman, the two were of similar appearance, twins, and very similar in height, the man being only slightly taller. They both had dark green eyes and dirty blond hair, the man's in an out-of-control mess that could not be tamed no matter the effort, and the woman's held mostly in check from being braided into a ponytail. Micah, the twins said upon seeing his face, simultaneously increasing their speed. Leif? Lila?' Micah asked as the two reached him. Rather than answer, the man, Leif began speaking. "'I never expected to see you here of all places. What are the odds?' he exclaimed. The two came to a stop a few feet from Micah. "'I didn't expect to see you two either,' Micah replied, his brow furrowed slightly. "'It's all thanks to you that we're here, though,' the woman, Lila, said with girlish excitement, smiling and making eye contact briefly before looking down and fiddling her hands behind her back. Micah looked quizzically at them. "'You gave us your books and stuff, remember? Not to mention helped us learn everything inside of them.' You are a better teacher than the caretaker. Hag did the paperwork to legally teach us and then never even read a story. Leaf reminded the taller man, his tone mildly bitter at the memory. Be grateful we had a place to live. Lila reminded her brother gently. Leaf sighed grudgingly. Yeah. Still, I didn't do much. All I did was help you with the basics. You two did the rest. Micah maintained, resuming the conversation. Be a little more gracious to yourself. Lila mumbled, her eyes looking down and sideways, nervously avoiding Micah. Sis is right. Everyone at the orphanage loved it when you came over. You didn't have to spend your afternoons with us, and you definitely didn't have to take on the role of teacher. The books were old. I wasn't going to use them anyway, Micah countered. But where did you guys go? You disappeared a year ago without a trace. Lila and I both managed to get a job and get some lodging, Leif explained humbly. We were 18, so it was completely legal. Plus, anything to get away from that dump. Oh, and getting here specifically was because of a special program this place has. Each year, five people from deprived backgrounds are given free admission. We were just lucky. See why it's thanks to you now? Lila added with a furtive glance towards Micah. Back in the main courtyard, an improv football game had commenced, four suitcases serving as markers on the end zones. A giant of a man caught a pass midfield and began to run. As he charged with impressive speed, his sheer strength was testified to as defenders were knocked aside like children when they attempted to stop him. One of these was resilient enough to grab hold of the titan's leg, but even this act failed to slow the charge and the valiant defender was dragged across the remainder of the field like a rag. As the giant charged, another heavily built man from the opposing team came rushing toward him from the side, moving to intercept. Just seconds before collision, the first was saved as his interceptor was blocked by a comrade. Oblivious to the action of his teammate, Jim pressed on, and reached the end zone a moment later, throwing the ball to the ground and pumping his fist in the air triumphantly. Jim was six foot four, and built like a tank, with limbs resembling cedars more than arms and legs of a human because of their sheer strength and bulk. His hair and eyes were dark. For attire, he wore a black and red sport shirt and matching shorts and sneakers. Jim was, without a doubt, nine-tenths brawn and one-tenth brains. It was only through intense help on behalf of his parents and friends that he made good enough grades to graduate from high school, but it was through his persistence and commitment that they were also good enough to get him admitted to college. Woohoo Jim cheered in victory from the end zone, his deep voice booming across the courtyard. Great run, man, the comrade who had defended him said as they bumped fists. Thanks for the cover, Rob. I'm sure someone would have taken me down if you hadn't watched my three o'clock. Rob, whose full name was Robert, was also of heavy build, but of a more average height than Jim. His hair was brown, his eyes green, and his manner honest. <sighs> Please, I blocked one guy he probably would have just bounced off if I hadn't. The two broke into a fit of laughter, leaning on each other's shoulders for support and their merriment. Beside them, the resilient man who had dug a small trench in the grassy field as he was dragged relentlessly across it stood up and dusted himself off. What the heck was that? He railed. Whose crazy idea was it to put a a bulldozer and a brick wall on the same team? Apparently not realizing he was referring to them, Jim and Rob recovered from their laughter and began talking to each other. Hey, numbskulls, he's talking to you, a second player from the opposing team declared loudly. Huh? Jim and Rob turned. You guys freaking trampled us. Someone could have got hurt. Heck, Matt's face dug half an irrigation system. Uh, sorry? Jim offered uncertainly. "'You've got nothing to apologize for,' Rob assured his friend. "'If they aren't tough enough to play with the big kids, then they shouldn't.' "'What? That does it!' The infuriated young man rushed at Rob, but was stopped short when a newcomer stepped in between them, his arms spread out toward the two in a manner of separation. "'Everybody paused for a second. Jock commanded with a charismatic smile, his voice confident and commanding, but not tyrannical or cocky. It was the voice of a friend and a leader." Jock was five foot ten, handsome and fit, with an average build, stylish black hair and a winning smile. His eyes were dark blue and had a way of inspiring trust in people, although perhaps that was also cause and effect of his smooth words. He wore jeans, a black shirt, an unzipped red jacket and black shoes. Around his neck was a silver chain and cross, tarnished with age and clearly of some significance because of its visible antiquity. Jack was intelligent and had a special charm which often attracted people to him. This ability was further augmented by his incredible wit and skill in speechcraft. Just calm down, Jock requested kindly. A little too much adrenaline can go a long way in starting fights, but we're better than this. Let's use our heads and solve the problem. Being unable to resist the simplicity of Jock's request, both the offended and the offender softened in countenance and manner. Good, that's good, Jock encouraged with a smile only then lowering his arms and taking a casual stance rather than that of one bracing themselves for impact. Let's work this out. That win was honest and square, but since this isn't a real tournament, we have the liberty of rearranging teams. Big fellows, would you mind splitting up so one of you is on each team? Jim and Rob looked at each other for a moment. Yeah, sure, they replied in unison. Great, Jock said, still smiling. That's all of that? He then asked, turning to the representatives of the defeated team. The one who had almost attacked shrugged his shoulders and nodded his head in the affirmative. Sure, I guess that's fine. As the new teams took their positions and prepared for a new game, Jock left the field and headed in no general direction, being in the habit of waiting for things to happen rather than causing them. After a moment, another young man ran up alongside him. The new arrival had red hair that contrasted greatly with his strikingly deep blue eyes. His skin was slightly paler than normal, but his form was healthy, and given his movements, he still possessed childlike vitality. His clothing was very similar to Jock's, only he had no necklace and his jacket was green and his shirt blue, adding more contrast to the bright colors of his hair and eyes. "'Dude, that was awesome!' the redhead informed him enthusiastically. "'You totally just talked those guys out of busting each other up. So cool!' "'Thanks. Name's Jock, if you didn't already know.' Jock said with a casual grin. My name's Max. Nice to meet you, Jock. Nice name. You seem to be a pepper one. Play any sports? A little bit of everything. I'm not quite strong enough or fast enough to make a career out of it, though. You have a plan, then? Jock asked in friendly curiosity, even though they had only just met. Not really. I'm hoping some doors will open. How about you? Well, at that moment, two girls walked up to them from the side. Jock and Max paused and turned to face him, Jock closer. "'Is there anything I can assist you with, ladies?' Jock asked with his habitual confidence. The shorter of the two women blushed and looked down shyly. She was decidedly short, with a pinched waist and no curves to speak of, grayish hair that seemed almost violet in the sunlight, a black skirt and shirt, and an unbuttoned gray vest. Her companion, a red-haired woman with vibrant blue eyes, pale skin, jeans, a low-cut t-shirt, and a green jacket, responded. "'Are you Jock?' She asked critically. The one and only, how can I help? We heard you were the student president, captain of the football team, MVP in three sports, and student of the year six months ago for your senior year in high school? We were also told that you had over a dozen smaller honors and awards? Oh yeah, and someone said you were in sports weekly? I said all of it was total bull. No one could be given that much prestige so fast. The accusation was decidedly aggressive, snarky even and would exhaust most people's patience instantly. Please, you give me too much credit, Jock responded good-humoredly. I've never been in Sports Weekly. Well, actually, there was that one time, but it doesn't count, and otherwise, all I did was my best, and I only won positions and awards because of luck. Honestly, I can list six people off the top of my head who I believe deserved it more than I did. The shorter woman looked up as Jock was talking, her eyes sparkling in surprise and admiration. That's very humble of you. She commented quietly. "Huh, a little too humble,' her companion said, leaning back slightly and crossing her arms. "'Um, sis?' Max began, speaking to the red-haired woman and confirming the relation that their appearance suggested. "'Not now, Max. This guy is hiding something,' she cut him off, narrowing her eyes at Jock. Jock raised his hands in surrender. "'I don't believe I am, but if I have done anything to offend you, I will do my best to make it right. You have my word.' The red-headed woman began to tap her foot in frustration, clearly not finding the result she wanted. (laughs) Whatever. Come on, Rachel. We're done here. With that, she turned and marched off, the shorter woman, Rachel, hesitating a moment before following. As they walked off, Rachel shot a quick backward glance at Jock, but quickly looked back away. Your sister seems nice. Jock commented casually to Max after the two women were gone. Max turned and looked at him curiously. She just attacked you, man. How are you so cool about that? Jock shrugged as the two began walking. We all have our flaws. Some are just more noticeable than others. Just shrugging stuff off like that, how do you do it? It's it's just too cool. It's really just a matter of staying calm and using your head. Always look at things from the bright side. Just as he finished his sentence, a water balloon hit Jock in the back of the head at high velocity, causing him to stagger forward. Recovering quickly, he straightened himself and swiped his drenched hair back in one fluid move. He turned and waved to a woman who was grinning and juggling another water balloon some ten yards away. "'Nice shot!' he offered her. The girl laughed and skipped off, jock smiling as he turned back to an awestruck Max. "'See? Like I said, just stay cool. It was hot out here anyways.' "'Dude. Wow. Just… just wow.' The double doors to the main school building were propped open by two large stones outside. On the inside of the doors, the woman who had been wreaking havoc with water balloons was leaning against the wall. Directly across from the open doors was a large corkboard displaying cabin assignments. On either side of the corkboard stretched a large hallway that went about fifty feet in either direction, lockers covering the walls, except for a door directly adjacent to the board-labeled teacher's quarters. The woman turned and walked down the distance of the hallway, unwrapping a piece of gum and inserting it into her mouth as she went. Upon reaching one end, the hallway turned and ceased to have lockers on the wall, A constant string of rectangular window panes on the one side and occasional wooden doors on the other. On these doors were laminated schedules for the classes and corresponding periods of the schoolrooms they led to. The woman walked another hundred feet or so before she came to the end of the hallway and encountered a staircase. The staircase was made of smooth wooden planks that were glossy and clean. They went forward before meeting a center platform where they rotated and continued upward but facing the direction they had come from. Karma mused for a moment, grinned, and then began to bound up the stairs. Carmel was 5'8", with green eyes and an extremely slender build that did, however, still possess notable curves. Her hair was long and dyed tie-dye everywhere except her bangs, which she had left black because she could. She got straight A's in school because she could. She was a fan of pranks and practical jokes, and an expert at pulling them off because she could. She was an expert gymnast, ice skater, acrobat, and cheerleader because she could. For clothing, she wore a brightly colored pastel t-shirt typically with an equally bright pattern on it, denim shorts, and white tennis shoes, probably because she could. In addition to these things, Karma was also a maortai, a race of humans who possessed animalistic traits. For Karma, these traits were black cat ears in replacement of her human ones, and the gecko's ability to climb on any surface, giving her hands and feet a rough texture and a strange, greenish pallor. The second and third story had mildly different layouts than the bottom one, but the staircase remained fixed, and all of them had schoolrooms and windows. Karma reached the second story and headed down the hallway, checking the schedules on doors as she went. After finding the door she was looking for, she stopped in front of it and pulled her class schedule out of her pocket. Satisfied it was the right room, she reached for the knob and attempted to open the door. Locked. Karma giggled and took a step back, pulling a hidden hairpin from somewhere within her locks and a paperclip from her pocket. She twisted the paperclip into the shape she wanted and proceeded to apply herself to picking the lock with the two pins. After a moment, there was a satisfactory click. Click and Karma opened the door. The room was rectangular in shape, the teacher's desk and chalkboard directly opposite from the door. In total, about fifty desks lined the room, facing the back wall. Karma walked around the desks and moved toward the head of the classroom. When she reached the teacher's desk, she took the gum out of her mouth and tried it between her fingers to verify it was sufficiently sticky. She giggled another time and then set to work, After she gummed every drawer on the desk shut, using an entire package of gum in the process, she wrote, I was here, in huge swirling letters on the chalkboard, along with a winking smiley face. As she opened the door to leave, she turned and surveyed her work one final time, nodded in approval, and then left as silently as she came, waiting to enjoy her handiwork the following morning in class. All right, there you go. There's the prologue and the first chapter. We'll be getting into more of the book here tomorrow. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And remember, click the links down below to check out RJ's stuff. And if you enjoy these indie author episodes, tell the world. <laughs> That's what uh, social media is all about. is to share the things that you are loving. And if you're loving Another World audiobooks, it would mean the world to me. Uh, it would mean another world to me. It would mean all the worlds to me if you would just go ahead and share it on social media. Tell your friends and family about Another World Audiobooks. And make sure to tag me so that I know how to thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode coming at you tomorrow.